Thanks, everyone. How are you all doing? Good to see everybody here today. Um, I have a couple of jokes for you to cap the year off, okay? Yeah, so I, you guys are, are I, I hold you in high admiration. You've weathered the cold. You're here today. This first joke is about a pastor that was announcing daylight savings time. And apparently he was a little frustrated with people that came in 10 or 15 minutes late and into the service each week. And so he was announcing it, and he said this. He said, now, for those of you that come uh, 15 minutes late each week, remember, tonight is the night that we turn our clocks back 45 minutes. (laughs) All right. You're all familiar with the story from the Old Testament. A king named Solomon who had wisdom from God and one of the illustrations of, of uh, Solomon's wisdom was, uh, was, was recorded in scripture of these two women that, that lived in the same house and one of them had her bi- baby die in the middle of the night and so she said that the other baby was her baby and so there's this debate between these two mothers which one is actually the mother of this baby. And so they brought, they brought their argument to King Solomon and Solomon, in his wisdom, said, we'll just cut the baby in half, give one half to one mother, one half to the other. And of course, he was never planning to do that. He just knew that the real mother would never allow that to happen. And so the woman who's, who was not the real mother said, okay, that's fair. And she's thinking, well, if I can't have a baby, then neither can she. But the real mother says, of course, no, don't, don't harm the baby. So Solomon gave the, the real mother the baby. Now, there was a Sunday school teacher with a class of little boys, and she was telling them this whole story, and after coming to the part of uh, Solomon's decree, and then the one woman saying, go ahead, cut the baby in half, and the other woman saying, no, don't do it, she paused, and this little boy shouted out, I hope the mean one gets the half with the butt. Yeah, anybody that knows a little boy knows that, that, that that's so true. I mean, that, that could so easily happen. Well, today I want to talk to you about um, God's blessings in our lives and God's promises to us and how we walk in those promises, how we experience the promises that God has for us. And, and as we're looking at this whole idea of happy new year, uh, so often when we think of Happy New Year, we're thinking of, of blessings. And, and what are the blessings we think of? Uh, most of the time, our minds gravitate towards you know, better jobs, maybe a little more money or maybe a lot more money, um, health, uh, relationships, things like that. Uh, overall, just good things happening in our lives and fewer bad things happening in our lives. But what I want to say today is that while those are all good things and things that God cares about, they are not the top priority. And, and by that, I don't mean they're not important. I just mean they're not first in order. And Jesus put it this way. He said that if we will focus on the kingdom of God, he said, focus your heart on the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. And so by focus your heart on the kingdom, what Jesus meant was that we love God and care more about knowing God than anything else. 
that we care more about understanding God's plan for the world and how his kingdom is being released to the world and what part we have in that, that we make that our absolute priority. And if that's our priority, then how much money we have, we'll have enough. You know, the health that we need and everything else will fall into place. He said, all these other things will be added to you. So we need to understand that in order to have a grasp of how to actually receive and walk in the promises that God has for us. Now I want to start today with a great promise from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 11. And as, as we read this, I want you to have this thought in mind, that God will provide all you need to complete his mission for you in this life. That's just another way of saying, put the kingdom of God first. God will provide everything we need for us to complete his mission for us in this life. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is, uh, is a verse that shares God's heart towards us, his concern for us, his love and his compassion for us. It says this, God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this was given to a group of Jews who were in captivity. Uh, the nation of Israel had been conquered by a foreign power, and, and they took just masses of people. Uh, they displaced them and took them. So they're like, they're like displaced, a displaced people group in a foreign land, just waiting for the day that they get to go back to Jerusalem. And while they're there, in that state of uncertainty, God says to them, I know what your circumstances look like right now, but I want you to know this. I know my heart towards you. I know the plans I have for you, and they are plans for welfare, not calamity. You might look at where you are as calamity right now, and it really is, but my heart towards you is not calamity. My heart is to deliver you from that place and to bring you back to your homeland. And so that's the promise that was given. And it is a promise that by extension comes to us today because God's heart for his people is the same today as it was then. And so you and I can look at this promise and we can know this is God's heart towards us. Now, when he says welfare, it is the Greek word shalom. It's a word that we often translate as peace. And this word shalom and the peace of God re really refers to an inner sense of well-being. Just an inner, inner sense of looking around at life and saying, okay, everything's okay. Just this sense of well-being. So God's saying, I want you to live with that. I want you to live with this sense of, of well-being, welfare, and that's my plan for you. It's a powerful promise from God. Mistake we make oftentimes, I believe, with promises from God is this. We look at them and we think, okay, God promised that, that what that means is I can just sit down, fold my hands, and do nothing. That God promised it, then God's going to give me that promise. And oftentimes, that's the case. But oftentimes, also, promises are given, and they're more of invitations than anything else, and I have to say yes to it. I have to say yes to the promise. I have to respond to it, either by prayer or by some act of obedience. I have to respond to the, the promise or the prophetic word that God has given to me. And, um, and 
This, this, is, this is so important because if I sit still when God is really looking for a response, then the promise doesn't come about. And then I'm left saying, well, did God, God didn't keep his word, but God did because it was an invitation for me to step into something. And when, when, we, when we speak of this idea of radical obedience, it could be things like this as a church body in, I think it was 2012, one of our church members gave us this prophetic word that uh, God was doing a new thing here, but not a new thing. He's just, he's just uh, restoring us to our inheritance. He's, he's taking us back to our roots was exactly what was said. And so we received that as a prophetic word. I, I heard that and I thought, okay, I believe that's from God. It complements other things I see happening. And I believe that's from God and, and said yes to it. And then what we had to do was keep our eyes open for places that we would see that start to happen. And when we would see that start to happen, we had, we had to bless what we saw happening. And, and we had to say, okay, more of that. And so there's, it requires a response on our part. Uh, there was a year, I think it was 2013, that we had a prophetic word at one of our New Year's Eve services that uh, we were going to begin to enter into the fulfillment of our desire for power evangelism. And what we mean by power evangelism is evangelism that is dependent upon God's power. So it's praying for someone, they're healed, and then as a result of them being healed, you get to share the gospel with them. Or you, you pray for someone and, and they just sense God's presence in a powerful way. And, and because of his presence there, they open up to listen to the gospel. And so this person gave that word that we're going to enter into that. And, and he also said, and the young adults are going to lead us there. All right, so what that meant was, okay, I believed that word. I heard it. It struck, struck two in my life, my heart. I said, all right, on behalf of our church, We want that, God. And then I had to keep my eyes open. We had to keep our eyes open and see where's this happening. And that was about the time that our young adult house group ministry was just really moving into high gear. And so as we see that happening, then we had to make the choice to put resources behind it. We had to make the choice to to start staffing for that because God had spoken that that was going to happen. Does that make sense? So there are promises we get that... If we just sit back and do nothing, then, well, that promise was an invitation. And I didn't say yes to the invitation. And I didn't step into the invitation. And I needed to step into the invitation for it to actually uh, come about. Now, there's another way that uh, promises come to us. And th- this, well, let's just read a verse, okay, about this, another verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty. Here we read this. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. And you know, I just discovered it just a couple of years ago. I've been studying and reading the New Testament for 40 years. It's amazing how you can read and study and then you come to a point where the Holy Spirit shows you something that you never found in spite of all of your searching using just natural means, which of course we use. We, we, do, we should study and we should work hard to understand, but then the Holy Spirit just opens it up to us. And this just happened for me a couple of years ago for this verse, but it says this. All the promises of God are yes through Christ. So we also shout yes through him to God's work of glory through us. Now, he says all the promises of God are yes through Christ. What that means is that we find a promise in the Bible, and uh, like Jeremiah 29, 11, 
and I take it to God, and I say, God, I saw this promise, and God says, uh, yeah, that's for you. You can have that. Yes. God says yes. It is through Christ, because Jesus is the one who died on the cross to take away sin, to just fully open the kingdom up to us. And so I take that promise to God, and he says yes to me. Yeah, you can have that. And then just as, as a shout of joy, I shout yes back. And what I'm saying yes to is God's work through that promise in my life to glorify Christ. Does that make sense? And so we, we see that we have to respond. In fact, I want to go back a step, all right? In that verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, I want us all to read that together, okay? Let's read it out loud together. And then at the end of it, uh, after we've read it, we're going we're gonna to say yes to it, all right? So Jeremiah 29, 11, let's read it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now let's all say yes to it. Let's, I'm going to count one, two, three, and then we'll say yes three times, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Yes, yes, yes. So God, we receive that promise. If you take nothing else away from this today, memorize that verse, read it over and over again, take it to God, and when God says yes to you, you say yes back, and then look for opportunities. Look for where it shows up. And when you begin to see that promise begin to show up, you, you might be focused on something over here, but you're seeing that promise of God start to rise up over here. Just put that on the shelf. It might even be a good thing. Put that on the shelf and come over here and bless what he's doing in your life, in your world, as you begin to see the promises of God rise up and and come to fruition in your life. So there are times that God's promise is to us, we just stand still, sit still. Just watch, watch what I'm gonna do. Display of power, It could be just the release of power in our lives, which is something we don't earn or anything like that, but it's just something we stand still and watch. And there are times that what we have to do is say yes, and it takes either a yes in prayer or, or it takes some step of obedience, and oftentimes it takes both for us to walk into that promise from God that is an invitation for us to move into it. But there's a third thing, and this, I just got insight on this. It's it's not really new, but the way it was stated, um, Bill Johnson gave a message, I listened to it, and he talked about this, but the way he stated it was this. He said that there are times that God gives us promises based on who who he is making us to be while we're still in process. Okay, he gives us promises about the future based upon who I am becoming. And so I'm here, and he gives me a promise out here. Now that promise is intended to stir me to develop and to grow and to mature. And along the way, I'll pick up pieces of that promise, but I don't really come into the promise until in a heart level and in my life and my walk with Christ, I've matured to the point that that I'm walking into it. Now, I've seen that, that, that um, prophetic words abused at times. I've seen people receive a prophetic word, come back from a conference and say, well, I received a prophetic word that I'm supposed to be a preacher and I'm gonna preach to thousands of people, so when are you gonna let me preach? 
And so I'm looking at that person, and I happen to know they're here, and that promise is up here. And they're, what they're doing is they're saying, well, let's skip the process. Let's just jump to here. But what we need to understand is there are promises we get from God that are based upon the work he is doing in us and where he is leading us and what he is making us into. And when we begin to understand that, then we can have patience and peace about what God's doing in our lives. Otherwise, we can grasp for that promise prematurely, become frustrated, angry even, accuse God of not fulfilling his word when it really is, is our lack of understanding in the process. And, and here's something that goes with that. God won't release a promise like that to us prematurely because the promise comes with a certain weight to it. And so he releases promises to us that our inner life can bear, can sustain. But if I have a fractured inner life and he releases a promise like that to me prematurely, then the weight of that promise just increases the fracture. And, 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 and it will actually do damage to me rather than bring me into what God has for me. Now, we see this happen um, in the natural realm where we, we see people win the lottery. You know, $100 million or $20 million or whatever. Or, or we see some young athlete sign a huge contract and, and then you see their life just fall apart. Or you read later about the person who won the lottery and not only are they broke now, but they're in massive debt because their, their inner ability to bear that blessing, uh, the, 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 inner, the inner self wasn't as big as what was out here. And so God is looking at us, watching us grow and releasing blessings and kingdom authority and, and all, all his blessings in our lives as our hearts expand and as our hearts become um, more and more uh, stable so that, so that we have an established heart. And now, I'm not saying that God's withholding healing or provision from someone because their heart isn't ready for it. I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, but, but there are fractures in our hearts that will not sustain blessing. Things like bitterness or jealousy or a sense of entitlement or if I'm easily offended or greed or um, resentment. Fractures like that in my heart will mean that if I get that blessing, that the, the weight of it will just cause everything to crumble because my heart's not strong enough to actually handle the blessing. Now, there are times that sickness, for instance, is based upon or is the result of bitterness or resentment, long-held bitterness or resentment. Can We can become sick through things like that. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I want to repent of that. I want, to, I want to turn from bitterness and whatever wrong thinking in my heart and mind have led me to think it was okay for me to be bitter towards someone. I want to repent of that, that have my mind renewed. But, um, but that's not always the case. And, and we don't want to say that all sickness is based upon, upon some heart fracture or some heart issue. But it, it is true that if I'm seeking ministry... For instance, if I'm praying for the sick and I'm seeing other people pray for the sick and they're seeing more healing than I am, 
or I'm pressing into a prophetic ministry and I'm seeing people around me that maybe are more accurate in their prophetic ministry than I am or they're, they're experiencing more prophetic um, anointing and blessing than I am. It could be due to some issue in my heart. It might not be. It might just be God's timing. But it could, if, if God looks in my heart and he sees that I need the approval of people around me a little too much, then he recognizes that that's like a little crack in the foundation. And, 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 and so he doesn't give us more than what we can handle at the time. So when it comes to this, um, to this then we need to ask ourselves, what can I do to grow my heart? What can I do to grow my, my inner person? And, and don't, don't, don't take this to, to mean that we have to be perfect for God to bless us with spiritual authority or life or, or other, any other realm of blessing in life. We don't have to be perfect. And I'm not presenting a formula to you that, um, that, that God is bound to obey. It just, just by observation, it seems that this is, is the way God works. And it explains an awful lot of, of how we experience God in our lives. But that doesn't mean that God at times doesn't just bless somebody and we look at them and think, man, I hope that person can stand up to the blessing. But at the same time, God sustains them under the blessing. So it's not a formula. And it is not transactional. It's not like I can say, well, okay, God, I got rid of envy. Now I'm due a promotion. You know, you know it's not like that either. Because that, that would reveal a spirit of entitlement. And so the, entitled, the spirit of entitlement then we have to deal with. But, but don't get stuck in thinking that we have to fix everything before we get God's blessing on our lives. But we do need to ask ourselves that question. How can I grow? How can I mature? And a key part of this, key thing to understand is God is into process. And and I think it's just part of his nature that he's into process. In fact, you can, look at, you can look at creation and how long did it take God to create the world and all the animals and everything in it? Six days. Could he have done that in one one thousandth of a second? He could have, but he didn't. And it's, it's the process that the God engages in process, even to the point that he didn't finish the whole thing. He left it in Adam and Eve's hands and said, I want you to multiply more image bearers like yourselves that are going to expand this garden. And ultimately the garden of Eden would have expanded and covered the whole face of the earth. And then God's kingdom would have filled the earth at that moment, at that time. But that God left that in, into a long-term process because God likes process. Now, God uh, as well could have sent Jesus immediately when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus could have been their firstborn, or at least Eve's firstborn, and he could have taken care of everything right there. But God's, God had a plan, and in spite of Adam and Eve's failure, God continued to work his plan and the process and the plan of redemption took generations and, and gener- hundreds, a couple thousand years before it actually came into full fruition because God um, is a God of process. Now, when we think of process, we ask, well, why is that? Um, why is it that uh, process 
and, and the release of blessings go hand in hand, I, I think there are a couple of things to recognize. One of them is that process develops relationship. It develop, and, and so God's creating relationship with himself, with his creation itself, as he's taking six days to create the planet. And that's why Romans 8 says that all creation groans, because when Adam and Eve fell, when the humankind fell, it impacted all of creation. It says creation itself groans, awaiting the day of the full adoption of our sonhood, so the, that we as believers in Christ manifest fully the kingdom through our lives because that's going to change not just us, it's going to actually change creation itself. But God and process work hand in hand because, first of all, of relationship. And when you and I uh, work in this process with God, the, the whole thing is we get to know him through it. We get to know him and he gets to know us. Now, knowing us, of course, you could say, well, he knows everything about us anyway. Of course he does. But knowing everything about someone and walking through things with someone are two different things. And so God develops relationship with us as we walk through this process of spiritual growth with him. And so process is, uh, is something that gives us relationship, but it also it enables us to develop and you see that it, with our with our own in 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 the very na- in the natural realm very clearly. Uh, we just had all of our grandkids at our house this week. They're all wonderful. I love them all. Everything I have can be theirs. But I'm not giving any of them my car keys because the oldest is only nine. She's a wonderful, mature nine-year-old. But I'm not going to let her drive the car. She has not pro- uh, progressed to the point in the process that she's ready for that. Now, that's where some of us are. We're still, we're still growing in process. And, and there are blessings being released, but maybe we've received a word that this blessing's awaiting us, and, and we want it right now, but no, it's, there's a process of growth we're going through. When we get to that point, God will release it. Now, the other uh, way this could work is you could have a 16-year-old grandchild, and you could say, I'm never giving that kid my keys. Because you look at them and you say, well, no, he's way too dependent upon the approval of his friends. And I can just see a friend saying, gun it at the wrong time, and he's going to peel out and get a ticket or worse, have an accident. And so th- this whole thing of process and of God releasing blessings that we can, uh, we can walk in and we can sustain at a heart level is really a key part of our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth because it's relational and it gives time for us to grow and to develop. Uh, another illustration of that with my own kids, when, when they were younger, I included them in the process of projects I was working on when I probably could have done it in much shorter time if I hadn't included them. If I had just done it myself, I, you know, it could have been easily done. But two things, what are they? Relationship. I'll take the time, I'll let them swing the hammer, I'll let them do their best with the shovel or cut the board because we're building relationship. And as well, I am training them and and they are developing maturity through the process. Now, this this happened on Friday. Um, Our kids were all gonna, Lori and I watched all of our five grandchildren 
We did survive. It was touch and go for a while, but uh, we made it. And they were all going to go out, and, and our kids and their spouses go out and, and have some fun. But uh, the one that drove, his van wouldn't shift out of third gear into fourth gear. And so then they had to drive home. And, and then it wouldn't shut down. It wouldn't turn off. And he knew there was an electrical problem that he thought it had been fixed. But by the time I even heard about this, Wilson had already called three auto dealerships and mechanics to see if, he could get, if they could get the car in to see any one of them. And so that was already taken care of. And when I saw what was happening, all that Brent needed from me was a wrench. I need to borrow a wrench. And then he knew what to do to turn the car off, to get it running, to get it. And he already had a whole plan put in place as to how they were going to get home and what they were going to do. And so that, that was the fruit of process, of time I had spent with them, not only relationally. You know what I did? Uh, I noticed they, they parked their car under uh, pine trees down in North Carolina. And so I noticed a bunch of pine needles stuck in a few places around the hood of his car. So as they're working on the engine, I'm just pulling the pine needles out and throwing them away. But, um, but the point is, process enables us to develop relationship and skill, relationship and, and heart growth that enables us to do more than we would ever, ever be able to do. Um, so th- this growth process, let's ask the question, what is it? And and just take a few moments and talk about how can I engage in the growth process? Well, first of all, there are attitudinal issues. There are things like honor and patience and kindness and uh, joy and perseverance and contentment. There, there are all these character qualities that if, if I'm not living in them, then what they require is for me to repent of not living in them. What that means is I change my mind about it. It might, it might be that I thought, well, it's okay that I don't honor those people because they're not worthy of honor. Well, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches I'm going to honor them because of who I am. I'm going to honor them because of who I am. Uh, that's like I've mentioned this before, but Lori and I have this agreement that I will not talk to other drivers while I'm driving. And uh, I never cussed at anybody or anything like that. Uh, and, and I don't even like r- rail on, I, I don't like, but I do say things like, what are you thinking? And come on, come on, go. I need to get over to that lane. You have plenty of space, just put your foot in the gas. Lori claims that there are times people can see my mouth moving and they know I'm talking to them. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. But uh, so we just say, well, I'm not honoring those other people when I do that. And even whether, whether they know it or not, it's about my heart and my wife. I'm not honoring my wife when I do that. And, and so uh, there are things like that in our lives that we just, just have to come to grips with and say, God, I, I recognize that's not, that's not like Jesus. And I want that out of me. And then renew my thinking about it. Okay, I really don't have to get someplace 30 seconds earlier that bad. It's not that important. And, and as we're able to do that, then we grow in character and, and at a heart, our heart becomes stronger so that we are able to uh, bear more externally, but um, more, more blessing. But there's also uh, what a lot of people refer to as spiritual disciplines. Don't you like that word? What does that, doesn't that just stir your heart? Yeah. 
It makes me think of uh, like Marine boot camp, something I do not want to do. You know, it, it sounds hard and negative and boy, this really sucks, but I'm going to do it anyway because, you know, but so I, I, rather than calling them disciplines, I think I want to I just call it something like focused God time because just as we come here every week and we gain something, and I hope you go away from here encouraged. I hope you go away from here stronger in your heart and more capable of dealing with the things that you encounter in the world. But, but just as we do that here on Sunday morning, we all can and need to do the same thing ourselves just about every day. To, to take time that is focused God time. And in fact, that's gonna be an emphasis this next year for us. And uh, we're not gonna have an actual series on it, but we're gonna, we're gonna sprinkle messages in throughout the year, maybe one here, two here, one there, that will be on different aspects of how to have focused God time in your life. Because for you and for me to spend time with God, take time in my day at some point in time, not based on guilt. I used to feel so guilty because I, I, I couldn't get up early in the morning. In fact, I went through seasons of time where out of guilt, I got up at five o'clock every morning no matter what. No matter what time I went to bed, I'd heard a guy preach a, a very stern message on this. No matter, he, he said, if I go to bed at midnight, I get up at five o'clock. If I go to bed on and on at 4.45, I get up at five o'clock. And I thought, yeah, that's what I need to do too. That was the spiritual disciplines, kind of like the thing. I did that for uh, quite a while. But do you know what I would do? I'd get up, I'd get a cup of coffee, I'd sit down with the Bible in front of me, and the page would just start to swim. <laughs> It'd start to go like that. And, and I'd just go to sleep. And, and, and that was all based on a misapprehension of... Um, books I had read as a new believer on focused time with God that talked about these old time believers that would get up at four o'clock in the morning and pray every day. And then I finally realized these, this was written about people from 100, 150 years ago when no one had TV or lights at night, so everyone went to bed at eight or nine o'clock. And so it kind of like relieves me of some of the guilt. So what I want to do is to relieve you from guilt-like pressure of thinking you have to do focused time with God the same way someone else does it. But uh, it, it really is for our health and our benefit that we do. None of us would want to eat just one meal a week and then say, well, I get to eat again next Sunday. And so, um, so, so this, this idea of focused time with God, it's all about encountering God. It's about encountering God in a living way way. It's not about gaining more knowledge. In fact, Jesus um, said to the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures, thinking that in them you'll find eternal life, and it's the scriptures that point to me, but you won't come to me to receive life. And so it's possible for us to search the Bible for knowledge but not to, not, not to come to scripture for a living encounter with God. It's living encounter with God that changes us. And don't get me wrong, the Bible is God's word, 100% God's word. I believe that 
In the original text, every word is inspired by God, exactly what God wanted it to be. It's his living word. And every time I read it, whether I feel anything or I, or I actually sense God touching me or I even sense God speaking to me in some direct way, it is still God's word and it ministers to my soul. It ministers to my heart. In fact, there are times when if, if I'll get really kind of discouraged or I just feel down emotionally, I'll just read large passages of scripture and, and don't necessarily think, oh, wasn't that awesome insight there? Or one, I'll just read and read and read and I come out of it and my heart's lifted up because it's, it is God's word. But there's also this precious, wonderful thing that happens when we read God's word and the Holy Spirit takes a truth from God's word and what the old timers, they called it quickening. It just means bring it to life. And, and, it, and it comes to like, it just like, it just like comes to life. And, and I sense that. And I sense God's presence. And I sense him touching me in my heart and in my spirit. And so these focused times with God are really driving that direction. But even when that doesn't happen, I still, I still have my focused time with God because he's worthy and because I know it's still strengthening me even though I might not be enjoying it like the same as I do um, other times. It's kind of like the difference. I, I love spaghetti and meatballs, okay? But I, can't, I don't get that every meal. There are meals that are more plain than that. Sometimes we have fish and rice. And fish and rice is good for me too, even though it doesn't create the same, the same effect. And so God's word is God's word, and we read it, but we're reading it for encounter with God, and, and we're seeking to encounter him. Elijah, in the Old Testament, was a prophet who had this tremendous victory uh, on a mountain called Mount Carmel over the enemies of God and these false priests. And right after seeing God's power released and displayed in, in lightning from heaven and in, in, in power, right after that, Elijah became uh, terribly depressed. And the queen, the evil queen Jezebel, threatened his life and Elijah fled for his life and in depression, and he wanted to die, and he fled into the wilderness. The problem was it was the wilderness he already knew, and God wanted to dislodge him from what he already knew, and so God said, Elijah, you're going to have to go on a 40-day trek to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai in the peninsula, and so Elijah takes that 40 days, and when he gets there, then God speaks to him, and God spoke to him in, in this way. He sent a mass of fire to rush through this valley, and uh, Elijah sees it, and he doesn't move him. He's, there's an earthquake, and then there's a tornado, but it says God wasn't in those, and Elijah knew the power of God, he had, and this was God's power, but what Elijah needed was an intimate moment with God. He didn't need power. He needed this intimate heart touch. And so God whispers to him, and Elijah recognizes the whisper because he's heard it before. And when Elijah hears that whisper, he responds, and God renews his heart and restores his heart and sends him on a a restored sense into the completion of his mission. And that's what you and I all need. We need to hear that whisper of God. We need, to, we need to have that experience of an intimate moment with God. And as we do, then um, our lives just take off in, in, in new ways. So um, many things, prayer, worship, 
alone time, sometimes in a different routine than we're used to, just as with Elijah, fasting, um, declarations of truth. You know, I am a child of God. I, I do have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, prophetic words, reviewing our prophetic, prophetic words, if, if you've been around this long enough that you have some. But uh, foundational to it all, I believe, is reading the Bible. And we're going to have more messages on this, on how to read the Bible and how to pray in, in a focused time with God, how to worship in a focused time with God. We're going to have more of these messages coming up throughout this year. But um, we need to recognize that when, when, when we come to God and we call out to him, Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things in your word. We want to come to him with that heart. God, show us, show us more. I want to see more of who, I want to, I want to experience your glory. I want to understand and see and experience more and more and more of who you are. And um, when, when God's instructions and commands come through encounter, then it just gives us life. And it gives us joy, and we're able to walk in a relationship with him. So we're going to receive our offering right now and invite the worship team to start coming out. So you can, you can reach to your left there and grab that basket on your left. I'm going to pray in a moment. But um, uh, let me just say this. Thank you for giving. This has been a good year of giving for the church. And uh, thank you for your generosity and sacrifice. We'll give a report on uh, the, the year's giving. We'll have a little, little family talk sometime in January and give a, in, yeah, January and give a report on that. But for right now, I just wanted to say thank you and I just want to bless you all. Uh, thank you for your sacrifice and generosity. But let's pray. Um, Father God, we're thankful that we are in process with you, that, that we're growing Thank you that you continually lead us into more and more deeper and deeper relationship with you and greater growth. And we want that, Lord. We just invite you to work in our hearts. Give us a deeper desire to see your glory and to experience your life, to walk with you. Pour out your blessings, Lord, on every person here and on this church body. And give us grace to sustain it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's all start by standing. While we worship you, you can feel free to have a seat anytime while we worship. You can come up front, as lots of people like to do, to worship. If you need a lot of room to, to move around, dance a little bit, the back has the most room for that. So let's do this. Draw. 